Thank you for joining us today for the podcast ministry of Unity Point Church. We're located at 124 Amerson Street in Anniston, Alabama. We hope that you'll join us very soon and be a part of our fellowship. We'd love to have you. Our three core values are Christ, community, and connections, and we try to find all three every time we come together. We believe that you're going to be both blessed and challenged by the message today, so let's dive right in. I want you guys to uh, take out your phone, take out your tablet, your Bible, whatever you have with you, and I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about loving the Lord. Luke chapter 10. If you're there, say amen. Amen, yeah. Luke chapter 10, verse 27, and this is what the Scripture says. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. One more time. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. We are emotional beings. And as such, we, we tend to feel things deeply and, and for a long time. Yet most of us recognize that emotions are not dependable for us to use as the basis for making decisions, for determining actions, or just as the basis for major life overall decisions. Now, the, the truth is we recognize that, we just don't always heed that. We know that emotions are not dependable, but we don't always heed that. I have often seen people moved to make an emotional decision during a church service, and, and they'll supposedly make a decision to surrender their lives to Christ, when in reality it was simply a spur of the moment, not thought out, emotional action that didn't end up being sustained in their life because it did not involve all of the areas of life that God directs us to use in loving Him. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, what we see is we see people that make a reasoned decision. We see people that are challenged to come up with an answer to information that's been presented to them and then to make a decision. In fact, if you think about it back, we see even Paul in addressing a leader. Remember? He says to Paul, he says, Almost thou persuadest me. Almost. See, it was, it, was a, it was a challenge of thought. It was to present information and put it in front of someone so that they would make a reasoned decision. That's why even you would see, we would sing these songs, I have decided to follow Jesus. Not, you know, I just spur of the moment had this emotional thing happen, but I've made a reasoned conscious because we're made that way. We're supposed to be logical and rational people that can use the, the intellect that God gave us in order to make a decision. And so when we see these areas, what are these areas of life that God has directed us to use in loving Him? And that's what we saw in this scripture where He said, Love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. 
That's, that's what we're really going to focus on today. So let's, let's talk about what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, a, a biblical understanding of the heart recognizes it as the will, uh, the center of the will and moral activities. The center of the will and as a result, moral activities. Now, I do understand that oftentimes people talk about the heart in regards to emotions and things like that. That's a part of it. But I really think from a spiritual understanding, this has a lot more to do with the center of the will and moral activities. Let me give you some scriptures. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Samuel, when he, when he was looking at various things uh, about uh, trying to find the replacement that God wanted for Saul, remember he, he looked at David's brothers, and, and when, it, when he went there to, to David's father's house, he looked at David's brothers, and they were older, they were more mature, they were ones who looked like the person that you would be selecting to be the leader. And then uh, when God tells Samuel, it's not any of these. And Samuel has to say, well, do you have any more sons? Well, I got, I got the one, but he's the youngest. You know, he's out tending sheep. And, and so when he comes, he's, you know, he, he's, a, he's a stout little guy, but he's, uh, he's, he's uh, ruddy in complexion, all this kind of stuff. And, but you would have looked, and because of his age and because of the comparison to others, then even Samuel would have been going, surely this is not the guy that you're, that you're choosing. See, those, those emotional reactions, those things that happen on the outside, that's really not what the focus is. It's about what's in the heart, that center of the will and moral activities. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 says, I, Yahweh, examine the mind and attest the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. I like that. Examines the mind, but tests the heart. Tests the center of the will and the moral activities. People will say things. They'll say things like, trust your heart or follow your heart. And, and to be honest, that is a, it's terrible advice. It's not biblical advice. Because it's disregarding that the Bible tells us that we can't trust our hearts alone. Jeremiah 17 and 9, right before the verse we just read, says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? So if you've ever thought, tell somebody, oh, you just need to follow your heart, that's the most terrible, most unbiblical advice that you could give somebody. Because the Bible clearly says the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Now catch that. So, so if the Bible says that the heart is more deceitful than anything else, then is there something else that is more deceitful than the heart? Well, the answer is no. Because the Bible says that, that the heart is more deceitful than anything else. In fact, I, I would even, I made myself a note when I was thinking through this portion. It's kind of, if, if the heart is the center of the will and, and moral activity, you decide to do the right things. It makes me even understand why Jesus then prayed the model prayer and said, you know, this is what I would want. You know, if there's any way, let the cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done because even Christ understood that the human heart is deceitful. The human heart will mislead you. It'll take you to the wrong 
places and make the wrong decisions. So his prayer was, not my will, even what might be in my heart at the moment, but instead I want your will. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 34 says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. There you go. There's one for you. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, you might, in hearing that scripture, go, wait a minute, I don't understand, because even in that scripture, he says, how can you speak these one things when actually you are something different? If he turns around and says, but the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Here's what I, here's what I understand. I, I actually realize that it's eventually moments of pressure will cause what's really in you to come out. Catch that. Eventually, moments of pressure will cause what is in you to come out. That's important because in the moment sometimes we are able, when things are within our certain control or we have the time to think things out, we'll keep ourselves from saying some stuff because we know we shouldn't say it. We know we shouldn't have thought it. We know that that shouldn't be what was in us, but we definitely realize if I say that right now, I'm going to get myself in all kind of trouble. But it was still in you, right? It was still in us. It just hadn't come out yet. But you let the right moment of pressure happen, and what's inside somebody all of a sudden will come out, and then they're oh, I wish I hadn't have said that. See, the, if the tree is good, the fruit ought to be good. If the tree is bad, the fruit ought to be bad. And sometimes when we get past how we are able to manipulate, see, that's why the heart is deceitful. The actions that we choose out of our heart, sometimes they're deceitful. So we are in need of God giving us a new heart so that our will changes and so that we'll take proper moral actions. We need God to change our heart and give us a new heart. Jeremiah 31 and 33 says this, Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He said, I'll put my teaching within them. I'll write it on their hearts. See, we need God to take. See, what was in our hearts, we need Him to erase that. We need Him to get rid of what was written in our hearts, that, that stuff that we've inscribed in our hearts that is dictating how we live. And instead, we need God to wipe that clean and be able to write His teaching on our hearts. The psalmist in Psalm 51 verse 10 understood that because he said, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, I underlined, I underlined two things here. I underlined that idea of create and clean heart. Create. Now, if you notice, there's a difference between what the psalmist talks about regarding his heart regarding his spirit. His spirit apparently had at one time been such that it was steadfast. It was keeping him in the way that he should be going. Steadfast meaning you're not moved. But he said, renew a steadfast spirit. So that means it had been made new at one point in time. But he says, I need you, God, to renew that in me now. But when it came to the clean heart, 
He didn't say, hey, I just, I just need you to renew that. He said, I need you to create an, a clean heart in me. Create. Make something new. I need a new heart. In Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Okay, so see, if the heart is the center of your will, if the heart is where you make those, those decisions about moral actions, then he said, I've treasured your word in my heart where my will is, where, where I end up deciding about moral actions. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Now, I, I, I found two interesting things in this scripture. The one is that he said, I've treasured your word. Treasured it. There are many things that you may keep, but you don't treasure. You, you keep them, you think, I may, I may use this at some point in time, but you don't place great value on it. When you treasure something, that says you look at that thing and you place value on it, and you say, this is important. This is worth something. This, is in, this has great value, and so I treasure it, and so I treat it that way. I protect it. I look at it. I, I keep it safe. I treasure it. I think one of the challenges that we still face in today's world about getting our heart right with God is that we don't treasure His Word. We have it. It's available to us. We can access it. We can utilize it. But do we really treasure it? Do we find value in it? Do we, do we place great value on it? Do we protect it? Do we hide it in our hearts, as he's already said? Do we treasure his word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him? And I, I, um, I, I don't know about you guys. I, every now and then when I'm reading uh, Scripture and even when I'm getting ready for sermons, there'll be some odd stuff just pops up in my head, right? There'll be some things that pop into my brain uh, as an idea or an example. And so I was thinking about, uh, when, as I read this, it popped in my mind about the movie The Hobbit. And if you remember, there, there were, you know, part of the story is that there were these rings that were given out that had, you know, this power to help, help rule. But there was one ring. There was the one ring that actually, it was one ring to rule them all. It was the most power. It was the one that could control all of this stuff. And, and I, I don't know why that thought popped in my head about one ring to rule them all. But when I read this, I've treasured your word in my heart so they might not sin against you. The, the thing that popped in my head was his word to rule my will. His word has to be over my will. When I treasure his word in my heart, then I won't sin against him. Why? Because I will do God's will because I treasure his word and it has authority to rule over my will. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else, for it's the source of life. Here's another one of those powerful ones. So is there anything that you ought to be guarding more than what you guard your heart? That's not a trick question. I promise it's not a trick question. Is there anything that you should be guarding more than you guard your heart? Yeah, right. No, there's not. There's not. 
The Scripture makes it clear there. Guard your heart above all else, and then it explains the reason why. See, we'll guard a lot of things. We'll guard our home. We'll guard our job. We'll guard our family. We'll guard people in our lives. We'll guard situations, possessions, all these things. Sometimes we'll go to great lengths to do that. But the Bible says guard your heart above all else. It doesn't say don't guard other things now. It doesn't say that those other things should not be guarded, but it says above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it is the source of life. How you think, that center of your will, what you're choosing to do, the moral actions that you take, man, that will define your life. He says, guard your heart. Above all else, because it is the source of life. Now, that's the longest one. Let's talk, let's talk about the soul. Now, the best way that I know uh, to describe this area is just to connect it to the eternal part of us. The word that's actually used closely resembles the word psyche, that innermost thought, that innermost person that's really most often hidden from the world. You, you don't reveal them all that much. That person that's inside that when you think about down deep how you really feel about something, how you really think about something, that, and you keep that hidden away inside, oftentimes you put on a mask, the soul, that psyche, that innermost part of you, we're supposed to love the Lord with that. Now here's the interesting thing, because oftentimes it looks like that people love God, but yet down deep you know whether you do or not. You may go through the motions of, of doing things, taking actions, being part of projects and stuff like that, but down deep in your heart, you know whether or not that you truly love God. Not that it's just uh, an affection that you have or anything like that. You know down in your heart whether you really love God or not. When our soul... And all of our soul is used to love God. This moves our love from being something that we force ourselves into by doing the right things and appearing to have our will aligned with God. Rather, it's that part where we know down deep that we are surrendered to Him at our innermost being. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. Now, this one's it's pretty self-explanatory. One definition that I read uh, this week of the word used here defines this as possession of the qualities required to get something done, especially the possession of physical qualities. Okay, so again, possession of the qualities required to get something done, especially the possession of physical qualities. In, in other words, this is all about your talents, your abilities, your effort. So love the Lord your God with all your strength. It's about, it's about you putting effort in. It's about you giving everything that you have, giving it your all to love God. It isn't enough to say that we love God. And then what well, we checked off the boxes, again, it makes us think we look like how a disciple should live. For, for example, I mean, coming to church or giving, there's a lot of people that do those things. But then if you choose to not really use the fullness of your talents or your abilities for God, then you're not really loving the Lord your God with all your strength. 
There's people that have talents, they have abilities, and they are not using those. Now, you guys have, have often heard me. It's, it's been on our website since before the church ever got founded because we had the website done before the, the church ever got founded five years ago. And, and I say, you can see it today on the, on the statement. There's a statement from me down at the bottom of the page. It's even, you should be able to see it even on the website, that, that the version that comes up on your phone. It talks about down in there, it says, God wants to use the things that he's gifted you with in the world to reach the world. Whether you're an accountant, whether you are a seamstress, whether you're a carpenter, whatever it is that God has given you talent and ability to do, he wants to use that in order to reach the world. The question is, are you using it? Or are you looking at the things that God has given you the talents and the abilities to do and you say, well, that's not spiritual, that's not this, that's not that. And so you don't look at that as a way to be able to work for the kingdom of God and to be able to bring about righteousness on the earth. Continue surprises me how much effort we are all able to put in when it comes to something that's our hobby. Or something we want to do around the house, something that will bring us financial or other personal benefit, or something that we'll do for a close friend. Yet we'll make excuses for using those same talents when it comes to serving those in our community and even in the church. Suddenly we don't have time, we're too tired, we've had too much going on that week. But honestly... Let's, let's, let's be honest about this. If your best friend called you up at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, man, I've got to have, I need you. I need you right now. Man, we'd shake off the weirdness and we'd go help them. If our best friend called us, we'd go help them. I, I, I made myself a note. I said, so what is it that we consider God to be then? I've heard people talk about, oh, I had somebody call me in the middle of the night. Man, I get, I got up and went and done it. I mean, I love them. Honest. But, man, I can't do stuff for God when it's, when it's even in a timely fashion. It's not even in the middle of the night. See, we've we got to love God with all of our strength. And that means, honestly, in my opinion, that means even to the last few drops. Now, I'm not talking about you uh, abusing yourself and just flat out burning yourself out or whatever, but we can make some choices about what we're doing and what we're spending time on and how we're going about doing things and not shorting God on the time that we could spend working for Him. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. This is one where I've really been focused for some time now, but especially recently, and you guys know, I, I probably for the last year or so, I have really been talking a lot about the mind and how you think. But I, I simply cannot express and impress on you how crucial this is. And I honestly believe that many of you do embrace the importance of this, I'm just not sure that we're taking action in the spiritual realm to do something about it. I think people, oh yeah, you, you need to be able to think right, but I just don't know that we're doing anything about it. Romans 8, chapter 5, uh, or Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7 says this. For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit, for the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. 
For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Do we really grasp how important the mind is in loving God? This verse plainly states that a mind that remains in the flesh, which it says is sinful and in error, is death. But the mind that enters into the Spirit is life and peace. Now, I, I, want, you to, I, I want to go through that Scripture again. I want you to catch. It's important when you see words get repeated because you get a contrast that's going or you, you get a message that's driven home. She said, for those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, think about the things of the Spirit. Then he moves to a different phase. For the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's offer. It's unable to do so. You see how it kept saying how you live determines how you think. How you live determines how you think. And then he goes on to use a different phrase. Now I want to I share something with you that's going to help you understand this idea when he talks about mindset. Now yesterday... Some of you guys saw the pictures and stuff of our backyard. Doing some hard work out there yesterday. I got out there and there were seven fence posts, if you will, that I, that I needed to dig holes. 24 inches deep in that dirt and get it where we could, we could put some 10-foot 4x4 poles in, string up all those lights and stuff, and get the backyard kind of an outdoor living area. And so I had to dig seven of these, these posts. And, and about the time that I was flat-whipped, I had dug all seven of them, and I was about to have to start putting the concrete in the holes and getting that ready, and Caleb, thank goodness, got home. Caleb got off work, got there, and came out and looked to help. So he was taking those 50-pound bags of concrete and being able to pour that into those posts while I held them up, and then I had the level, and I was making sure that those posts were plumb. Now, that's not like green plums. That's plumb. And what that means is if you take the level and you put it on the one side, then you make sure that it's not leaning this way. Then you take and rotate around to that just to that next side there next to it and make sure it's not leaning the opposite, you know, over over to the so left and right, front and back. So you make sure that thing's straight up and down. Why? Because when you put that concrete in there and then we take and pour water down in that hole, it's going to make that concrete set. And once that concrete sets, it takes a massive amount of force, depending on how well and how, how much you concrete you put in, to take and move that post in because it is set in place. See, how you live... Will, start, will be determined along with how you think. And over a period of time, how you're thinking has been driving how you're living. You get a particular mindset. You get a particular mindset, and it takes an immense amount of force to get you moved off of that because now your mind is locked down. It has become rigid. It has become something that is almost immobile because that is the way that you are locked in on this idea. You have a mindset. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It just depends on how you have it. If you've got that post leaning off to the side and you pour that concrete in and set it, now you have something that is immobile and it's crooked. When it's set that way, that's bad. 
When it's set and it's perfectly straight up, it's not leaning front and back, and it's not leaning left or right, it is exactly where it ought to be, then that is what you want. And that mindset, that being set, is great. Look around at our world and consider the second part of that verse. It says the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. It's hostile to God. It can't even submit itself to God's law because it's unable to do so. It's not even capable. In fact, Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, a couple of things that I saw here, the, the word conformed. When I, I think about something being conformed, I kind of think about, you know, when you, when, when you were a kid and you had those Play-Doh sets, and, uh, and if you had a, had a nicer one, you know, it would have some little molds, if you will. It would have the little plastic pieces you could take and press the Play-Doh into, and it would take on the shape. Maybe it was a person or, or you know, a car, something like that. It would take that shape, and then when you removed the Play-Doh from that, you would see the Play-Doh had been conformed to that mold. It now looked like that mold. Here in this scripture, he says, do not be conformed. Don't be pressed into another shape of this age. But be transformed. Be made something new. Be made something different. Don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into something else, but be transformed into something new. And he says it's going to happen by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. I actually underline only part of that word. I underline newing. Because <laughs> it just it was it was reinforcing to me that it was be something new. Conformed is you're you're made like just something old versus God wants to transform you into the a new creation. And it's gonna happen by the renewing of your mind. Here's what's important though. He says that when your mind gets renewed then you can discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I, I, I want to I share this truth with you. Those who have not truly had a transformation in their life, brought about by you know, a godly spiritual renewal of their mind, they actually cannot discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. This is exactly why we can see so many people steadily straying away from God. They stray away from godly principles in their lives. That's why young people raised in the church blatantly abandon the faith wherein they were, they were raised. They've, they've embraced educational growth and being able to read the Word, talk about the Word, talk about God, but they've not truly experienced a transformation in their mind. They think they have. And that's the challenge. As pastor I had one time says, the problem about being deceived is that you don't know it. But they have not truly experienced a transformation in their mind, and so they erroneously try to explain what God would do, how God would have people respond, all in error and all in conflict with God's Word itself, because while intelligent, they spiritually cannot discern the will of God. 
I think this is one of the hardest things to see because we have people that are more educated now than they've been maybe ever in the, in, in the history of our, of our country. More people have an opportunity to have exposure. Now, I didn't say everybody's smarter, but, but they have more opportunity to be exposed to education, whether it is through the, 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 the actual educational system and, and formal schools or it's the ability to see things online and learn and study in a way that we couldn't do before. But here's the thing. But it also seems like in all of our learning that yet we know less about God's will and God's plan because people have reached a point where they have gotten themselves to where that they believe they are educationally superior, but yet they are not transformationally superior because they have not been transformed. You guys know I'm, I'm an advocate of, of education. I have my bachelor's degree. It's not any of that stuff. It's the reality of that if you are, if you are informed, but you're not transformed, then your life will still be in error. This isn't just about radicals or liberals or whatever other label that we would tend to apply here. It's about people simply being spiritually undeveloped in their mind, resisting transformation that would impact their raising, their long-held social norms, and you know, other transformation that they would experience spiritually. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 says this, For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, this, this is a big verse. We could just preach a message on this. I want to break this down just for a moment. Talks about we live in the body, but we don't wage war in an unspiritual way since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly. In all reality, the church world today has abandoned most of the idea of mental development, biblical education, deep thought, and meditation upon and understanding of the, of the Word. We've abandoned most of that. Many people can't respond with a rational well-thought-out defense of the gospel in light of this age of socialism, atheism, and other challenges against what should be the thought patterns and understanding of a godly and a spiritual person. But they can argue, and they can yell, and they can post memes. Now, I, I, I want to take a moment. Now, I, I've mentioned this several times lately, but I just want to tell you what I believe to be the, the biblical truth. When we get on social media... And we launch out with all these things that are just aggressive and are attacking and, 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 and are demeaning even at times. I want to tell you what, you are not fighting the battle the way that God defined it. And that's why the, the, the success never occurs. I mean, let's be honest, sitting here today. How many people have you really ever gone at aggressively and trying to argue with them on social media, and by the time that y'all had done a bunch of posts, when you got through, they said, you know what, I hadn't thought, I, I'm just completely changing my mind on that major topic that I was so adamantly against or whatever before. I just don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. Arguing with people halfway around the world, people you don't even know. And the reality is that what's happening is you're trying to fight a spiritual war with worldly weapons. You're trying to fight a spiritual war 
with worldly weapons. And in reality, what he says in this scripture, he says, though we live in the body, we don't wage war in an unspiritual way because the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but they're powerful. Let me tell you something. When you start trying to wage a spiritual war with worldly weapons, they're not powerful. And that's why you don't see transformational change out of people on Facebook and other social media. We're wasting time trying to go out here and argue people on social media when in reality what ought to be happening is ought to be sitting down and having a conversation with somebody. See, when you look throughout Scripture, what you would see is you would see Paul and people like this. Think about it. He's on Mars Hill. They've got all these statues and to these different gods, and one of them is to the unknown God. And what, is, what does he do? He looks and he says, Hey, I would like to talk to you guys about this unknown God. And then he makes an argument, and that's not getting in a fuss. He makes an argument for the unknown God who he then tells them is the Yahweh God. It's, it's God, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, that three in one. There's so many people that are wasting so much time on social media going out there and they're going after everything, trying to, trying to just convince everybody of stuff. And most of the time it's just hateful and it's aggressive. And the reality is you are trying to fight. It's a spiritual battle. It's not just trying to convince somebody over what you can do on Facebook. It's a spiritual battle. And when we go into spiritual battle with spiritual weapons then we find that they are powerful, and they're powerful what? Through God and for a purpose, for the demolition of strongholds. Scripture make it, makes it clear in this, and he says we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Most of us haven't even taken every thought captive to obey Christ, and yet we're trying to convince people on social media. But tell them how dumb they are. Trying to be pithy and smart alecky, mainly in our in our remarks and our comments. But he said, we've got to fight in a spiritual way because the weapons of our warfare are not worldly. But when we fight with the weapons that are spiritual, they are powerful through God and they will demolish those same strongholds. They'll take down arguments and every high-minded thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. What does that mean? It means you must be loving God through the application of your mind to His Word of sharpening your thinking and your understanding so that you can respond calmly and deeply when confronted with thinking that's contrary to God's way. And I'm going to say it again, that happens best in person accompanied by true compassion. Just trying to make people feel like they're an idiot on, on social media. Man, that, that's not what gets there. There's plenty of people, you know, when, when you haven't really thought through when you really haven't worked through what you believe about certain things and understanding certain things and really have set your mind to it, and all, then, then what happens is when somebody comes against what you believe or, or against your thoughts, then you respond in a non-calm way, aggressive and angry. But when you have thought through and you understand that you're in a spiritual battle, not in a worldly battle, then you are able to respond to a conversation in a calm way, in a rational way. 
you do that in person. You sit down with somebody and say, I, I, I love you. Let me, let me sit down with you and let's talk about this. This doesn't just happen. It has to be intentional. And God isn't going to suddenly drop some deep thoughts into your mind. You're going to have to put the effort in. I hear people say they don't like to read. That's pretty tough when God decided to write us a book. Amen? I just don't like to read. Well, that's tough because God wrote us a book. I hear people say they don't like to study. They ain't really done so since high school. Well, that's pretty tough when God says to study to show yourself approved, a workman worthy of his hire. I hear people say, you know, thinking hard about Scripture just makes my head hurt. Well, that's pretty tough when God tells us we're supposed to demolish arguments, take every thought captive. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this, For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Now, how often do we look like that? Come on. That we have the mind of Christ. Throughout his time on earth, Jesus would use Scripture to respond to challenges to his teaching. When he was a child, he studied the Word and he amazed the scholars with his knowledge. We are to have the mind of Christ. We're also to develop that mind. Study to show ourselves approved. Embrace learning about what our faith actually is and being able to explain it to others without just getting into arguments and Facebook jousting. So I challenge you today to admit and recognize that if you aren't putting effort into developing your mind in Christ, then you really aren't obeying His command to love Him with all your mind. As we learn about somebody, we get to know them closely, deeply. We come to love them more and more, and we learn how to demonstrate our love to them in more powerful ways. So when you first get to know somebody, you, you, don't, you don't necessarily know the things as you're beginning to, to get to know them uh, of how that you can best demonstrate and express the love that you have for them. It's different for pe different people. But it's not the same. But as you begin to get to know someone, which means you've got to put an effort in. You've got to use your mind, right? You've got to use your strength. You may have to expose your innermost person. Be vulnerable. You're going to have to set your will to it. Do the right things. Take the right actions. As you begin to get to know that person and love them more than you will understand how to demonstrate your love for them. And so I want to ask you this question in, in closing. I thought about this this week. What could you say that you have learned or learned more deeply about God in the last month? What could you say that you have learned or learned more deeply about God in the last month? Now, in your mind, if you're struggling to give an authentic answer, then today God has sent this word to challenge you. To challenge you to begin loving Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your mind. We should be able to say, you know what, this is what I've learned about God in the last month. This is what I've learned more deeply about God in the last month because that means that I'm applying myself. I'm loving Him with all my heart, with all my soul, 
I'm loving him with all my will, with all my moral actions. I'm loving him with my innermost being. I'm loving him with every drop of strength, every talent, every ability, everything that I can do. And I'm loving him with my mind. I'm thinking right. I'm, I'm studying. I'm, I'm working to understand him more so that I can demonstrate my love for him more, so that I can do what he wants me to do. I'm loving him with all my heart, my soul, my strength in my mind and as a result in the last month in the last week in the last quarter I've learned this or learned this more deeply about God love the Lord your God it's got to be about these things let's pray